Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Jared Kernop, and Masked Llama. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 87 of Retro Hangover. Retro and Classic Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are feeling financially fiscal for Funkadelic Futures for going favorable features fighting fantasies. This is episode 87 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host Chris Copleen with special guest Lyle McCarns who's programming that amazing Windows for your next vaccine and always your host Shane. Knock your dick Dragon Dan Koski! I feel like a lot of people are going to be pleased that the alliterations have returned. I would also say that, in retrospect, we should have included something about flexing Funky Kong, just because. Next time I do Fs. Okay. We'll do that. Keep that in mind. So, hey, how's that microchip coming along, Lyle? Um, are we? Is everybody going to be tracked yet? I was going to add that in, but I kept blue screening. Ah, no. I mean, that that's fair. It's he's better with Linux anyway. True. I'd rather have a penguin floating through my body. Just slide, slide. In any case, welcome to another episode of Retro Hangover. Today, as you have seen on the title card, we are going to be covering the original Final Fantasy because, well. It is the month of Final Fantasy, and fuck it, I don't think we talk about Square Enix enough on this fucking podcast anyway. I mean, I don't think we have. Why not talk more about fucking Square Enix? And this is only like our fifth Final Fantasy games, and there's like 80 of them. So we're we're doing okay, I think. Quit? What? No, stop. No, quit. <laughs> not, no, quit? I said quit. Fuck, that's too close to quit. <laughs> okay, goddammit. Lyle, help me out here. Quit? No! Okay, but... Can I interest you in Kupo? That's fine. Okay. Is it a conquering Kupo? You could call it instead like Genghis Khan or Kupo Khan? It could. It could be. Yeah. Hmm. You know what's funny about that? It's not something that I can change now because I'm too I'm too far in on it. But I realized way after the fact that technically I misspelled the word Khan. <laughs> and so every one of my usernames where I've got Kupo Khan, it's technically misspelled. But you know what? It's unique, so I guess I'll stick with it. Yeah, you're not going to see many people stealing that username. At least your screen name is actual words. So as you can hear, Lyle is back again. Welcome to the show, Lyle. How are you? I know it's been a long time. It's been a long two weeks. Yeah, it's been ages. Yeah, forever ago. Maybe even like 72 hours ago, maybe. I don't know. It feels like 72 hours. This crazy world. Who knows what's really going on out there? 
What is time? I don't even, I, you know, I, I was asked like if my lawn needs maintenance by my property management person. And I was like, you know, real talk. I, I don't know. I, I haven't even looked outside my window. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with getting your bush trimmed every once in a while. Uh, you got to keep it neat and keep it orderly, you know, I see. good, good length. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone looks at it with, with great appreciation of your very nice bush. That's right. So Lyle, what have you been up to in the long stretch of time that we have not talked to you? Uh, mostly getting ready to move and being tired. That, that sounds a lot like what happened last time. Adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, yes. It's a thing called adulthood. Fuck. The, the only thing I've been playing is a little bit of Magic the Gathering Arena and mostly in the I built a ridiculous toy deck to play against the bot while I'm in meetings so that I can focus. I'm sure your meetings sound very productive then. Oh, they, they, they are because I have something else to do and can pay attention. So I'm not trying to, you know, go read Reddit or something. I can't fucking do that. That's so hard. When I have meetings going on. I can't pay attention if I'm doing something else. I'm not that good at multitasking. Shane, before the show started, said he has things to actually say for what have you been playing lately. And he usually does. I'm not trying to say he doesn't, but he has a lot more than me uh, where I have just been playing Shining Force 3 Scenario 1. I think I'm almost done. It's starting to get more and more difficult and the enemies are having bullshit attacks. But again, I'm having fun with this game. It doesn't feel like a chore. I appreciate the fact that I can go and play a simple strategy RPG and just, you know, have fun with it. And I'm having a good time. And I'm also bouncing around playing a bunch of different other games with my mode that I totally legally have obtained. I promise everybody, of course. Would you say you're getting near the end of those? No, that's not me. If I said I was getting near the end of it, I I think I would just crash and burn. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I need to find a replacement for uh, my gaming tendencies because it's not nearly good enough or uh, near the amount of quality I'm expecting. And it would, you know, be near and dear to me if everything just crashed. Isn't that right, Shane? Well, you know, that's uh, that's absolutely right, Chris. And uh, it's funny that you should definitely not make any sly allusions to anything happening like that. Uh, But... Do I have a story for everybody? So the cat's kind of out of the bag at this point that I've been playing near on my Xbox 360 because we will be doing an episode about that in the near future. And um, I went to fire that up last night as I, you know, as I have been doing, as I have been want to do, one might say. I sat down on the couch, you know, fired up that old 360 and it was... um, it looked weird. It looked weird. I was like, hey, where's my cool custom Skyrim background that I have? And why am I not signed into Xbox Live? And so I rebooted it. And it was like, hey, you've got an Xbox Live update. Do you want to download it? And I'm like, weird, but sure. And then I got an error that said, hey, man, you don't have enough space on your hard drive. You need at least 190 megabytes of space for this update. And I'm like, That seems wrong. And so I went and looked in my system settings, which informed me that the internal hard drive that I had was evidently unformatted. Did it have a vaccine lately? Uh, I mean, not to my knowledge, but I don't know what it does when I go to sleep. So who knows, man? 
You know, I don't, I don't keep tabs on it or anything, but just trying to be responsible. Yeah. Well, this is what it gets because, uh, apparently my hard drive after God, how long have I had this 360 now? It's gotta be at least 10 years. It's finally decided to die. I think it's longer than that. Yeah. So I popped that thing out and I've got a SATA to USB cable and a third party replacement hard drive coming in the mail tomorrow. Thanks to, uh, you know, our benevolent overlord Bezos and his prime shipping. So I'm going to see if I can pull my save data off this thing and transfer it to the new hard drive. Uh, but if that doesn't work, I've got to basically replay at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 ish hours of near all over again. And I'm not excited about that. I got to be honest. Not that I don't like the game. I just don't want to have to redo all that shit because I finished all of the quests for part one and I was, I was on, I was on a good track and now I might have to do it all over again. So in lieu of playing that, I decided to fire up my switch and I went back and tried to finish something that I haven't played for like three years now. And so I am going through and hundred percenting all of the levels in captain toad's treasure tracker. So that's what I've been doing. That's a good game. It is. And I got to say, I got to press F for respects. Yeah, I've got my possibly dead Xbox 360 hard drive sitting here right right next to me. And I find it funny that like console manufacturers have to make these things look cooler than they really are just for the sake of charging like a higher price because it's in this like fancy plastic casing when really all it is is just a two and a half inch SATA drive. Oh, is that okay? Hopefully one that's at least doing decent throughput. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It's a fucking old ass hard drive from an Xbox 360. I have no idea, but we'll uh, we'll find out. Also, I mean, not that it matters, I guess now because they're re-releasing it or whatever. But, you know, I had some things on this hard drive that you couldn't get anymore. Like I still had a uh, Scott Pilgrim that beat him up was installed. On oh, there. no. I mean, you can get it now with on the switch and shit. Right. That still sucks. So we'll see. I, I might be able to salvage it. Uh, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow. So that'll, that'll be the, the fateful day. Mm. Well, keep us surprised of how your sorcery goes. Yes, yes, I, I certainly will. And if you want to know how that goes as well, uh, you can join our Discord. You should head over there. It's uh, bit.ly slash RHP chat. It's public. You can come say, hey, you can watch my despair in real time. I was really hoping... To segue, press F in two respects for press F or FF for double respects, as in the episode for today, which is FF Final Fantasy, which we are about to get into. Oh, he still pulled it out. All right. Hey, I can do things sometimes. Well, since Chris can do things sometimes, um, why don't you try to take a crack this time around at providing the fine listeners at home a brief history of Final Fantasy. The beginnings of major franchises often seem to start off as innocuous ventures into uncertain territory. Then again, this could arguably be applied to pretty much every video game in the 1980s. It stands to reason, then, that Final Fantasy, a name now synonymous with JRPGs, was no different. In 1986, video game developer Square was facing some fairly serious financial difficulties. 
one of their employees, Hironobu Sakaguchi, had been trying for years to convince management to allow him to make an RPG. His pleas were summarily declined, however, as Square believed the genre was just not commercially viable. On May 27, 1986, this point of view would swiftly change with the release and subsequent runaway success of Dragon Quest. With Square's approval, Sakaguchi would set out to create a game heavily inspired by Ultima and Wizardry. Initially only joined by three of his colleagues, due in large part to his reputation of being difficult to work with, Sakaguchi would eventually assemble a team of seven to develop the game, including Koichi Ishii, founder of the Mana series, and Akitoshi Kawazu, progenitor of the Saga titles. Kawazu would design the battle system by unapologetically reimagining the rule set from the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, including the incorporation of elemental weaknesses, something JRPGs had not done up until that point. Kawazu also had the idea of letting players choose their party members' classes, stating that the fun in an RPG begins when you create your character. Nobuo Oematsu would be tapped to pen the musical score, an unsurprising move considering his track record for consistent, quality output for Square's other projects. Additionally, Ishii would recommend Yoshitaka Amano for the role of character designer, something that Sakaguchi would originally decline as he was wholly unfamiliar with Amano's work. After seeing his artistry in various publications, however, Sakaguchi had a change of heart. Nasir Jabeli, an Iranian-American programmer, who I hope I pronounce correctly, would code the game and be credited with what can be considered the first mini-game to be included in a full retail release, the sliding puzzle game. Determined to see his passion project become a success, Sakaguchi took a ROM of the game to magazine Famicom Suchin, but they refused to review it. Luckily, Famitsu would give the game extensive coverage before release, resulting in an increase of its initial shipment from 200,000 to 400,000 units for its December 18, 1987 release date. Sakaguchi's gambit paid off, Final Fantasy would go on to sell 520,000 copies in Japan on the Famicom, a moderate success at the time. Nintendo would localize and publish Final Fantasy for North American audiences nearly three years later on July 12, 1990. Thanks to an aggressive marketing campaign courtesy of Nintendo Power, Final Fantasy would ultimately sell around 700,000 units, surpassing its Japanese sales figures. Regarding Final Fantasy's legacy, let's be real. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are fairly high you know just how incredibly influential this game was in shaping the industry as we know it. If you are a regular listener of the show, you may even be hoping that, one day, we will finally stop talking about Square Enix and the Final Fantasy franchise. But today is not that day, and I don't see that happening any day soon. And that is your brief history of Final Fantasy. Right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history of Final Fantasy for the Famicom. That's a lot of alliteration. It's right up our alley. Yes. That's why we talk about it so much. Yep. That's that is definitely the only reason. Of course. <laughs> yeah. If only it had been Dragon Delve instead of Dragon Quest, you might have been talking about that instead. Uh, the double D, if only. We all love the D. <laughs> you know, I was going to 
completely different direction with that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Shane likes 2Ds. That's true. Yeah, that simultaneously. So as we usually do, we'll start talking a little bit about uh, some of our personal experiences with this game. And so I am going to pass it over to esteemed guest host Lyle to talk a bit about um, what what he's experienced with this. So as I uh, as I talked about two weeks ago on our last show, right. uh, I started a year or so ago with a little pro- side project to play through all asterisks of the Final Fantasy games. The initial plan was to start with four and skip one, two, and three. And I was well on track to do that until the fall when the fine folks over at the Four Job Fiesta ran a fall one-class challenge Final Fantasy event. And, you know, it was like a double whammy of hitting me right in the vulnerable spot of play Final Fantasy, give to charity, and oh, by the way, that charity is Child's Play. So at that point, I'm like, okay, you win. Just, yep, shut up and take my money. And okay, I guess I'll play a Final Fantasy game personally targeted (laughs) yes very very much so like any sane person in the year 2020 were there any of those no doubtful Uh, i decided to play the game i decided to play the gba dawn of souls release and then hung out with uh these two while they played through the whole thing on stream yes which actually functions as a great segue into my experience because that one's going to be brief and then we'll we'll throw it over to chris but uh Mine is comprised solely of the Sunday streams that Chris and I did for the uh, for the charity event that Lyle was was talking about. And um, I because I had never had real opportunity to play this back in the day at all. And honestly, like it's funny because as much as I love RPGs now and I have for quite some time at this point, Um, I just really wasn't plugged into them at that time in the way that I am now. And so I just really didn't have visibility into these kind of games back then, um, which is unfortunate, uh, you know, but at least I get to kind of circle back to them, you know, now and and experience them for the first time. And it was uh, it was a unique way to do it. I, I actually enjoyed it because if you weren't there to see it, which shame on you. Why were you not? You should come to twitch.tv slash retro hangover on Sundays and join us like all the cool kids do. Nice drop. Chris and I, uh, we kind of traded off. We, we sent the save file back and forth between each other and we would take turns every week playing and progressing the story on the, on the same save file, which was a pretty cool way to do it actually. And it kind of helped to, to break things up a bit too. So that's really my personal experience with it was playing it that way and so i had never played the original nes release so i i benefited from you know the the years of improvements that were made to the subsequent releases of the game because i believe if i'm not mistaken we played the gba version is that right chris psp psp that's what it was okay Mm -hmm. well in any event it was uh it was a lot better than the NES version, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and talk about your experiences? So obviously, once again, and you know, for the Final Fantasy series, I think this is going to be pretty consistent. My experience is much broader than either Lyle's or Shane's. I didn't play this when it came out in 1990. I didn't even know it existed. But I did play this probably sometime around uh, late 91, early 92, maybe late 92. I'm not sure. I just uh, know that this was my first RPG that I had ever played. And it was, I think, kind of late 
into the NES's life, or I, I can't remember if the SNES was out by that point. I think it was, but we would play it at kind of like a, a daycare provider at the, at their house. It was a place that I would walk to after school it was the walking distance of my elementary school and they had final fantasy. And the, the first thing that kind of struck out to me was the fact that you could build your own party and had a dapper dude with a cap. And I love the dapper dude with a cap because, or the red mage <laughs> as I, as you will see, if you look this game up and I quickly became addicted to it. And then I asked my parents for the game. So I, I think I got it on Christmas. I can't remember if I got it for Christmas for my birthday. Um, but I ended up playing the game and loving it and always making it about halfway through or wherever the strategy guide took me to that was provided with the game and then just not continuing because the game was bonkers hard. But it I mean, the, the stuff that came with it was just absolutely fantastic. The packaging was great for this game. So flash forward a couple years, Final Fantasy Origins came out and I don't think I, I don't think I played that one. But my dad took me to Japan in 1990. I've told this story, I think, before on the Pokemon episode where uh, I ended up finding a Wonderswan. And this was, I think, in 99 or 2001, one of the two. And I ended up getting a Wonderswan color, not the Final Fantasy edition, but a Wonderswan color with Final Fantasy one and having an absolute blast with it. I, once again, I didn't defeat it, but that's more because of the language barrier. There's just a lot of Japanese there. I probably could have used a fact, but also the screen. I'm not always outside. I wasn't as into portable gaming as it was a little bit later, but I, I did have the ability to play it on Wonderswan Color. And flash forward a few years later, because I lost my Wonderswan Color because we had a, a smack addict in our house and he probably sold it for smack. So I lost my Wonderswan Color. So there, there went that. And then flash forward uh, a couple years after I went to the Navy and then I got Dawn of Souls and I finally beat Final Fantasy one on the GBA. The difficulty was just right, and I enjoyed it. And ever since, I've, I've made it a point to try and collect all the Final Fantasy versions that I can. Still trying to get it for the Famicom and the uh, Final Fantasy 1 and 2 Famicom cart. I would love to get that someday. But I, I own everything that I can. Don't have an NES copy either, but that's fine. And I love this game. This is the game that got me in RPGs. This was my first RPG. So I fully blame this game, Final Fantasy 1, on the Nintendo Entertainment System for my current addiction into RPGs. I don't know if I'd be as into video games today uh, as I am now if it wasn't for this game. So it's all its fault. You have made me a degenerate, and I hate you. But I also love you. It's like being in an abusive relationship with video games. That's that's Final Fantasy 1. <laughs> well, I'm sure that you are probably not alone in in having this game be your uh, your gateway drug, as it were. Um, so, uh, so moving on, let's talk a little bit about, uh, what's going on in this game, right? So oh, what, 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 what's happening? What, what is the plot that's behind the, the RPG mechanics? Who, who wants to take this one first? Any volunteers? <laughs> I guess I'll jump in here. I'll be as brief as possible. Lyle says it makes sense so he can clear it up. I'll give the dumb version and then Lyle can, you know, equate it to you all yeah i want a dissertation on this plot from lyle you're four dudes unless you have a white mage then or multiple white mages because that's supposed to be a theme i don't know it's whatever you want it to be you have four people who show up and they're the warriors of light and they're carrying like little balls and then you go talk to the king and the king says oh you have balls go save the princess you know so you go save the princess from a dude named garland 
and then you have to restore these balls to their former glory. So you're trying to make your balls shiny by going around and re reuniting the balls. And then once you're, all your balls are you know, nice and glowed up after you defeat all the fiends, you have to go into the past to kill the dude that kidnapped the princess in the future to stop him from going into the past and saving the time loop again. Let's do the time warp again. Right? Great. Thank you for that plot synopsis, Chris. That was, that was beautiful. Lyle, would you like to expound on that at all? Or I mean, I don't get how that's not perfectly clear. That all makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> what I meant by perfectly clear is at no point are you asking, wait a minute, which thing just happened? It's completely bonkers. Yes. But it's at least linear enough that you know what's going on. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. I didn't say I understood what was going on. <laughs> I said I knew what was going on. Those are different things. Fair. I mean, okay. Yes. Do do you understand what is happening currently in the story at any given moment? Yes. However, but not do you why. understand how they all fit together in any sensible fashion? Maybe less so. At time travel and cocaine. And that's, and that's like, and that's the thing. That's kind of what I pointed out is that, well, first of all, at a, at a high level, right? The, the plot for this game is incredibly basic and formulaic by today's standards. But, but, but there's a reason for that because this is like one of the first ones. So you can't really necessarily knock it for that. If it's the thing that kind of started a lot of the shit that caused it to be a standard in the first place. But the world is plunged into a darkness and then prophecy something something savior warriors of light crystal macguffins and other assorted tropes and and you know whatever it's fine i mean shit it even starts with a save the princess like subplot to get you moving if if you want to talk about how like kind of bog standard that piece is and it is what it is that's fine as i said should be noted that at that time when this game came out, that plot in and of itself was even more than a lot of the contemporary games uh, were offering. So you kind of have to keep that in mind, you know, when we're talking about this. Now, beyond that, my issue that I have with it is that I feel like a lot of how the plot plays out is just very contrived. Like it's, it's like a series of just deus ex machinas happening one after another. It's like a D and D campaign. Kind, kinda. Yeah. Kinda. Which I guess makes sense. Right. If he's basing it off of a D and D I I guess it's fucking right in line with that. But like, if you really look at it, it's like, what the hell does Astos the Dark Elf and his crown crystal combo have anything to do with the overarching plot, except it's a thing that your party happened to, to stumble upon, which then leads you to get item X, which then leads you to locking, unlocking like thing Y and somehow eventually gets you to where you need to go very conveniently. And I just feel like it's a lot of just real contrived things that happen until you get to the sages. I feel like that's a turning point in the story because once you get to the sages and they're like, yo, you need to go save these four crystals. Again, you're, you're really just get sent getting sent off to go find the thing in air quotes. But at least at that point, everything kind of like comes together in a more sensical way, at least, for a while 
and, and then everything kind of just goes off the goddamn rails again when we start talking about Garland and his time loop and I, I don't know, Doctor Strange something or other. But even when the sages, so I, I have to say this, the entire point of why your party sets off is to, was it reanimate the orbs or restore the orbs or the crystals? But they're orbs in the United States. So I'm just going to say orbs because it's easier to say. Sure. So you have to go restore these orbs. And you're told this by the king. You're told this by Corneria, you know, as they're launching Star Fox away. I don't know why they couldn't rely on his ass. But the <laughs> Cornarian king tells you that you have to restore the world and, and pretty much things are starting to rot. Just like kind of in Final Fantasy V. That, you know, if, they don't, if they're not restored, then things are going to go to shit. And instead of like doing that, you're you are playing fetch quest. It's just like any standard beginning of a D&D campaign. I haven't played a lot of D&D campaigns, but every single one I've played has kind of started out like this. Like, why the fuck am I doing these mundane tasks that don't make any sense or really come together? So, yes, in, in essence, if you look at what they were playing at the time and, you know, you have Kawazu loving, you know, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, probably Sakaguchi did, too. Because he was playing Ultima and Wizardry, which are heavily based on Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. This makes sense. The The entire idea of a plot in an RPG hadn't really been formulated yet. And I do have to say this, too. I gotta, You got to give some praise to the whole entire Rescue the Princess thing. And Dragon Quest did it, too. And Dragon Quest did it first. That's not the main objective. Sure. Like, it's, it's a means to an end. You rescue the princess, and that's just the beginning of it. In fact, in Dragon Quest, you don't have to rescue the princess at all, but that's a different story for a different time. But it's just like, oh, you rescued the princess? Okay, that proves your heroism to go do the things you need to do. And that I can appreciate to a point. But up until that point, RPGs still hadn't formed an idea of how to put a plot into a game. So it being that basic, I think... Like it, it feels like the plot was an afterthought. Like they built the skeleton of what they wanted to do and then just pfft, here's the plot. We got to fucking do something with it. But according to reports, this is something that Sakaguchi wanted. So I can't wait until I get out of the Navy so I can smoke the shit he was on because, man, it gets fucking <laughs> stupid at the end. Personally, I don't even think it felt like it was an afterthought. I, I think it was very much a central point of the game from the get-go I, I don't ever i didn't ever question that my my concern with it is that i i felt like it just was not it felt poorly planned like even if it was something that he had been thinking about for some time the fact that you go from almost one like non sequitur to another and they're only loosely related to each other of like well, this random person, like, like y your party basically lucks into succeeding most of the time, which I guess you could maybe argue is like more realistic or something. Have you played D&D? &D? That's pretty much what happens. <laughs> True. <laughs> but like once you leave Corneria and the king is just like, yeah, I built you this bridge as a gift. Now fuck off and find some orbs like you just kind of wander off in that direction and you suddenly get like embroiled in these like local affairs of state for these other cities that you come across that have on the surface, like zero to do with your overarching quest. And yet somehow every random ass thing you come across is at least tangentially related to your overall goal of finding the crystals, which that's the point to me that feels very contrived in that every single thing that you come across is inevitably 
something to move the party forward to their ultimate goal when in reality that's often not the case. And listen, and I listen, I understand I am being probably unnecessarily harsh on it given the caveats that even I threw in at the beginning about how, you know, it was the time and place for this. It was one of the first ones to really try to get this to work in a video game. And so credit where credit is due that they laid a lot of groundwork here. It's just coming back to it now and looking at it, it a, a lot of a lot of the the warts of the story are just a lot more readily apparent than maybe they were. Are just more warty. Yeah, yeah. There's just really no plot to have warts, though. <laughs> Wiley, you got anything else? Not really. That's. I mean, you guys nailed it. That it's not nonsensical, but it's not great, but it's also not bad. Yeah, it it could have been a lot better. Just like the gameplay in the original game, but we didn't know that at the time. Oh, boy, I got a lot to say about this one. Yeah. How about you You kick it off? Because I think we'll just feed off you. I think we're all kind of in the same mindset with the original NES release, at least. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, as we mentioned in our personal experiences, I mean, all of us have had the benefit of playing this game on a, you know, objectively superior version of it um, at one time or another. Chris, of course, was... I probably the only one that played the, the the OG back when it was relevant. And man, uh, we we take for granted, I think, some of the things that we have as far as like modern conveniences and design sensibilities nowadays, because man, does this game have a lot of broken shit. And, and I'm not talking like broken as in like, it's so good that it's busted. I mean, like broken as in shit just doesn't work. And I have some examples you're not talking Blue Mage busted. Uh, no, 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 I am not. No. All right. So some examples, and there are plenty. So there are 10, 10 weapons in this game that have s- alleged special effects to them, like doing more damage to a certain monster type or doing some kind of elemental damage or something to that effect in the descriptions of them that programmatically don't do anything at all. So they are just bog standard weapons that are bugged and don't actually do the special effect that they uh, claim to do. So 10 of those, one of which, by the way, is Excalibur, which is like the fucking awesome sword that you get crafted from the adamantite at one point later in the game. So that's neat. On top of that, the intelligence stat, uh, which is, I don't know, pretty important to casters, is supposed to be factored into the damage calculations for spells, right? That makes sense. That would be a thing that should happen. Yeah, totally. Except it never does. It, it's never factored in properly at all. And so what that means is a couple of things. One is that technically speaking, red mages who are supposed to be the jack of all trades are actually just as good as white mages who are supposed to be the dedicated healers and cure bots um, at healing because their relative intelligence stat is never factored into the math for the spell. What that also means is that in the original NES and Famicom release of this game, spells never get better. They do not scale with your character's level. So a level one character casting a spell will do the same amount of damage that like a level 20 character will do. And so that is a big reason, in addition to the next point that I'm going to get to, 
of why casters were not great. But so you just buy better spells. To kind of explain away that, that's kind of the same of D&D, though, in the fact that, like, the higher level, you could be a level one wizard and or a level, like, 18 wizard, and your level one spells are going to be doing the same damage no matter what level you're at. That wasn't an accident. I don't think that was a mistake. That that I think that's that's what it was supposed to be. It may have been intentional. It it was still a mistake. No, I okay. Lyle makes good point. I I highly doubt that this was an intentional decision based on based on what I saw as far as doing a little bit of research into some of these things in the game. I I do not believe that that was intentional. There is one thing that was intentional, and we'll get to that in a second. But that one I, I don't think is because having a spell not scale with your character makes casters significantly weaker than their melee or ranged physical counterparts, which is not the case in actual D&D. There are things that accommodate for that. Right. It's just poorly implemented. As as Lyle said, it may have been intentional, but it was also a mistake. I agree with Lyle. I mean, sure. Well, we could argue that all day long. At the end of the day, we're not going to have a straight answer of it. So it's largely irrelevant. Fine. But yes. Unless we get Nace here on the show. Right. I don't know if he's still alive or not, to be fair. I have no idea. It's been a long time. Yeah. So there's that. And then talking about spells a little bit more, there are several spells in the game that just straight up don't actually work like at all. A couple examples being temper and saber and lock, all of which are supposed to either buff somebody in your party or debuff someone uh, on, on the other side, an enemy. And they just straight up never work. Or in some cases, some of the spells will just always miss every single time. So they are useless. So those things combined make for caster classes that are just like objectively worse than other classes that you could pick in the game. And the one thing that goes along with this that even further reinforces that is that there's a critical hit bug that is present in the game. And... The interesting thing about it, and this was the one I was saying is, is, I think it was intentional, but maybe still kind of wrong, is that this one, unlike the others, which were fixed in subsequent versions of the game, this one never has been. And so it is present in every version of Final Fantasy, uh, which leads a lot of people to believe that the developers felt that this was something that was maybe less of a bug and more of just like a feature an oopsie that they decided to keep in. But basically what happens is the game, rather than properly loading up a weapon's intended critical hit rate, which if you look at the table of critical hit rates for the weapons in the game, regardless of the level of the weapon, they usually range somewhere between like five and maybe 10 or 15%, right? So not a huge range. It does not do that. Instead, it loads the weapon's index number. And I don't want to go too far into like programming and all that shit. But basically, if you have a list of items, then the the weapons that you would get later in the game are further down in that list. And so the index number that references that particular item is going to be higher, right? So what this does in, in, in practicality is that weapons that you get early on in the game actually have slightly less crit rate than they're supposed to, while weapons that you get later on in the game have vastly more crit rate than they were intended to. And so 
again, if you look at a list of this this index of weapons, um, the Masamune, I believe, has something like a 40% crit rate, which it was nice. only supposed to have something like a 15. So, so there are objectively correct weapons to use. Basically, yeah. I mean, the the weapons that you get later on in the game, just by virtue of being further down in the list, their index number being higher, will just have, will crit way more often than other weapons. And so it's funny that they kept that in because I think they just were like, well, you know what? That's kind of cool, I guess. People like doing more damage, so I guess we'll just leave it. But it's an interesting thing to note. So you take that, right, where you've got, melee weapons doing like almost crits every other hit or close to that and then you have spells that either just straight up fucking don't work or are calculating their math incorrectly and suddenly you're presented with a game where you can make the argument that you probably actually want to just build your party mostly around like physical damage characters because fighters they're just gonna do way more consistent and better damage no, ab- absolutely. You're you're incredibly right. I'm surprised you're that passionate about it, considering I don't think you've played the NES version. I have not. It's it's not the it's not the NES version. It's the math. That, that that's exactly <laughs> it. No, that's exactly it. Because I was looking into this today for for the show, and I was looking at this list of bugs, and from just being a fucking code monkey from back in the day, I'm like looking at this and just being like, what? How did this happen? <laughs> How did this go out in a production product? We'd have failed classes for bugs like this. Let alone. <laughs> so so right. one of the things I can kind of explain for this, and this isn't a defense of anything for this game, but in doing some research for it too, apparently Nasir Gabelli or Jabelli or however you say his name was having some problems wrapping his mind around the ideas they had for this game. Hmm. So apparently he went to Sakaguchi and said, hey, I'm having some problems. And Sakaguchi was like, hey, man, just do whatever the fuck you can. <laughs> like, it's okay as long as it works. I don't give a shit. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just a report I saw. And it's like, oh, wow, uh, that explains quite a bit. <laughs> I could see why this game uh, was as broken as it was when some dude's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've, I don't know. Maybe he's never played D&D. Maybe he doesn't understand the core concepts. And there's just like, yeah, you know, hit, do damage and, you know, things. Have you ever programmed for a Famicom before? No, eh, it's easy, man. It's just like, you know, computers. Same thing. <laughs> so, okay. I, I if, if you two will permit me to continue ranting a little bit longer, there's another one that I, I really want to talk about. Oh, please do. Go for it. Okay. So the formula for a character's chance to successfully run from a battle is completely fucked. And this is how. So in theory, it's supposed to be based on a character's luck stat in combination with their current level, which makes sense, right? From a mechanical standpoint. But... If you happen to know anything about uh, arrays in programming and pointers in arrays specifically, then you might be interested to know that it was written incorrectly such that the pointer is actually off by about two spaces. And so what happens is the formula uses the wrong information. It's reading from the wrong memory locations on, on the cartridge. And so rather than using luck plus the character's level, it uses luck 
plus the current status of the character two slots below the current one. So if you're looking at like the battle screen and your you know your party is lined up vertically, if you're looking at your first character, it is being calculated based on that first character's luck stat, plus whether or not the third character in your party is alive or dead. <laughs> and so what that means is that you can actually cheese this in that the first two characters, whatever you have in the first two slots, as long as they have a luck score of 15 and the correct character in slot three or four is still alive, you can run from a battle 100% of the time. So that's neat. Fuck getting a thief then. Right. But the downside, because you might be wondering, you're like, okay, Shane, well, if the characters in slot one and two are based on the characters that are two slots below them, so three and four, what about characters in three and four? What are they using? Ah, astute listener, let me tell you that it is based off their luck stat and then completely random shit. So there's like, like I can actually, I could tell you what it is, but it's largely irrelevant. The point is, is that it's pointing at a memory location that is storing information for the game that has zero to do with what is going on in the battle. And so the chances of your characters in slot three and four running from a battle successfully are at best totally random or at worst, like you just won't be able to run. So fun in programming, everybody. Welcome to his TED talk. <laughs> Pretty much. So so what I'm hearing is this game needed some serious QA. Yes. Yes. Yes, it did. It did not get it. Right. And I mean, like what? You had one dude writing the whole thing, right? Like, so. Yeah, it's just one. I, I, I got to give him some slack. And it, also, if it says Iranian-American immigrant, I think he was an Iranian-American immigrant, meaning he probably has speaking has, you know, he probably speaks Farsi and English working with the Japanese team. He was probably not having the best time of his life. I'm just going to imagine. <laughs> it's like, I, OK, I'll figure this out, I guess. Probably very difficult to be him. I've got my rant portion out of the way, so I want somebody else to talk a little bit about their thoughts about the gameplay. Because I have a couple other things that are not like bug related, but I want I want somebody else to talk for a little bit. Lyle, what do you think of the spell slot system? So I never actually played the NES version except for about five minutes to just see what it looked like. Oh. I will say that as a DD player. Spell slots are interesting at best. It is a way to keep your, you know, high powered magic users from just, you know, you don't want your wizard to be able to just, you know, and I cast fireball every turn because that's, you know, ridiculous and broken. Right. But I'm not sure that that's really what you want in a game, especially in a game where it's almost always asymmetric power in battles, you know. Either you are ridiculously overpowering your enemies or, you know, the four of you together can maybe barely beat this thing eventually. So, yeah. Sounds okay. like a certain Sailor Moon game we played recently. Yeah. It's not, but not as bad. No, no, no. True. That being said, switching to the mana system as they've done with later games and as the Dawn of Souls version of this game does, does make a lot more sense. He was like, yeah, you want your big spells? It's going to cost you. Yeah. And. I will say the spell slot system, the, the biggest flaw that it is with the original Final Fantasy is it almost forces the player to 
conserve their spells uh, for, for bosses. Like, it doesn't encourage spellcasters to be spellcasters. You're pretty much just hiding them until a major event. And that's not what you want to do with your spellcasters. But, I mean, that's typically what I find myself doing in RPGs anyway. It's just, it sucks. And I, I completely understand that standpoint. And I wish, yeah, when they went to MP in the later series, I think it, and like the later iterations, it does make the game easier, uh, even though I think it's more entertaining because of it. I think it is for the better. The one thing I think you left out, Shane, is in this game, if you assign everybody to attack a monster and that monster dies and you still have other characters that are assigned to attack that monster, it pretty much says you're attacking a dead monster. Sucks to be you. Right. It doesn't automatically swap over. I will tell you, that is not true in the Dawn of Souls instant version. No, it's not. And that was actually a quality of life improvement that they did, I think, starting with Final Fantasy three on the Famicom. Mm -hmm. And every version after the NES that they made, it automatically retargets a another monster. But in the original Final Fantasy, yeah, if if you decide, yeah, you're you're fucked if you don't know the amount of hit points that every single monster has. And that was one of the things when I was playing the game, you know, as a like a like six, seven year old way back in the day, the, the game came with essentially an entire bestiary telling you how many hit points every single monster had. So you knew how to plan out your attacks based on your party configuration. If I didn't have that, that game would have been a as opposed to just a very difficult game, a complete and total utter nightmare. Well, I find that that's the case with a lot of, you know, older titles, especially like NES era stuff. I mean, we had that a very similar conversation when we talked about the legend of Zelda, where right. if you try to play that game without the original instruction manual, you're going to have a bad time. And if you have the instruction manual, you'll have a slightly less bad time, but still you'll have an informed bad time. Yeah. You'll <laughs> have a bad time, but at least you'll feel like you're, you know, up to speed on everything. You'll, you'll understand why. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, that you're, you're right. That that actually is one of the big quality of life improvements that I did definitely appreciate um, in the in the subsequent versions. And just my own take on the spell slot thing, real quick. I agree. I think they're bad. Like I I I I've never liked them in D and D for as long as I've played D and D, and I sure as hell don't like them in a video game format. I mean, they've tried to ease that with you know cantrips which are you know weaker spells that casters can cast basically at will um some are better than others <clears throat> um fucking eldritch, eldritch blast, blast. warlocks i'm looking at you <laughs> but that could have been something and of course that didn't exist back then so this is not a fault of sakaguchi or anybody really but it, it could have been something that might have helped to counteract that feeling of basically relegating your casters to just being shitty melee characters that bonk people with their staff. But, you know, it is what it is. You, you, you learn from experience. They, they only had so much to work with at the time. But the mana system is a vast improvement. Although I thought it was interesting that they decided not to rebalance the game encounters to take the improved usability of spells into account, though. Mm. I also will say this about spells before we kind of move on. Yeah. I love the fact that in the original NES version, a game from Japan had a spell called Nuke. I <laughs> think that's I think that's awesome. They know what they were doing. Nuke XXXX and Rub have to be some of my favorite spell names. <laughs> it's so great. 
because you can only have four letters. So they, they, like, a lot of things are all messed up. Uh, but at least it looked pretty. Wouldn't you agree for the time and, and moving forward? I mean, it was graphically decent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Yes. In my, in my, in the five minutes I, I played the original, it did look fairly good for a, a game that is almost older than I am. <laughs> right. Cause the thing is, is like, obviously you're working with a limited color palette, you know, limited number of sprites that you can draw at any given time. So there's a lot of technical limitations they had to work around, but I think it's the, for me anyway, I think it's the detail that was put into a lot of the art and sprite work that I think makes a big difference um, compared to some other, you know, NES and Famicom titles. I do appreciate that all of the character sprites are very unique and identifiable. I mean, there's a reason that people can pick those out even to this day. And speaking of the color palette, I think they made a pretty effective use of it. I think they knew what they were doing as far as, you know, being able to leverage the limited number of colors available to them to kind of really create those good contrasts between like the backgrounds and the character sprites and like the overworld map. I did find it kind of funny though, that every single shop was basically a a black void of nothingness with a dude at a counter. Right. That's fun. But you know, other than that, (laughs) you got to think, I mean, this is still on the time before they, a lot of developers had fully unlocked the capabilities of the Famicom or the NES Mm-hmm. And when you compare it to a lot of RPGs that are on the system as well, I think it really surpasses what you expect. I think it looks better than Dragon Warrior 3, and a lot of people like Dragon Warrior 3, and they think it's one of the best Dragon Warrior games made. I mean, Dragon Quest 3, of course, nowadays. True. And, I mean, it's I don't think it's better looking than Dragon Quest slash Warrior 4, but Dragon Warrior 4 came out almost three, four years after it did. So you're looking at a very good-looking RPG for the NES. And I think in subsequent releases, they, they managed to capture essentially the essence of what a 2D RPG should look like, especially in the Final Fantasy series, you know, where it was with the 2D apex of it, of course, in the SNES version. And I think it does look better than what you get from an SNES, so they did enhance it while maintaining a 2D style of graphics. I'll say that Final Fantasy on the PlayStation, has, the, the graphics there have aged better than Final Fantasy VII, and that's just the nature of the 2D graphics, the sprite work. So that's I think that was a good decision. And every version after that, whether it be on the Wonderswan or on the Game Boy Advance or on the PSP, you, you do have some really lush 2D graphics. And Square has put a lot of love and attention into those graphics with each iteration. So I, I got to give credit where credit's due when it comes to graphics. They have delivered pretty much in every aspect. And even if you look back at it retroactively, you do have to appreciate what they were doing on the NES for the time and the genre that they were working with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just quickly kind of noting the, you know, the the re-releases of the game, I think it is important to point out that they were able to kind of give this game a new coat of paint, as it were, without falling into that like weird trap that we talked about in the Final Fantasy V episode where like mobile re-releases of some games like secret of mana or whatever like ended up looking like objectively worse thanks to the over polished like smoothed out shiny weird graphics that they put on everything Mm -hmm. they didn't do that with this one and i really appreciate that i think they kind of straddled that line between just straight up sprite work 
and then kind of overdo overproducing it, um, you know, on the other end of things. So I, I'm I'm I was happy with what they kind of produced with those. 100 percent agree. Yeah, at least the Game Boy Advanced version graphically looked about on par with the other three Game Boy Advanced Final Fantasy games I played last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it was you know between four, five, six, and then this. Uh, re-released Dawn of Souls version of one, they all looked, they, they had a very cohesive look to them. For sure. And speaking of cohesive, the the soundtrack <laughs> for this game, while relatively speaking a little bit, you know, smaller in comparison to a lot of the more sweeping OSTs that we ended up getting later on down the line, did provide a, a real excellent, compact, very cohesive little package. No, I agree. I think the soundtrack for Final Fantasy is is good for what it is. I if you kind of look at the history, I'm not sure how much the team really felt. I mean, you, you could see that the team that was working on Final Fantasy really started to believe in it. But it's hard to tell when every single aspect of the team really started to put their heart into it. And so when you look at Nobuo Oematsu, what he was able to do for that sound chip, you know, it's it's there. It's really good. And it's, there's not a lot to it, of course, but this is like early work for him. This is the probably the most, I, I don't want to say the most significant work because it's not his best work. But in, what I mean by significant is this is this is the music. None, none, none people, of the other work happens without this one. Exactly. And he, he did a really good job. And there's a lot of tracks that were really held in high esteem that you probably don't hear of in that regard anymore for the longest time. Like Matoya's Cave. Uh, the Chaos Temple has kind of really taken off in recent memory for its composition and especially when you get to more hard rock remixes uh, with the chaos temple. But overall the music is there. The music is, is very well uh, put together and I understand there's not a lot of space. There's not a lot of sound channels. So what Nobu, what Nobuo was able to do on this, on this system with this game, I think is very impressive. And I still think it's, I, I think it's the weakest of the three final fantasy NES games, but I, I still think the, it's a really good effort. The, the songs are iconic. You'll rec- Everyone's going to recognize at least one or two of these songs, uh, especially if you're an RPG fan, especially the prelude. And yeah, it's all there, and I highly appreciate it. I think it's, it's, it's solid. It's sound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, let's be honest. Like, like you mentioned, it's not like the NES and Famicom had a lot going for it in the sound department. Just, you know from a technical standpoint. And so it it's really easy to make sounds with that chip that no one wants to listen to on repeat. Right. There's a lot of beeps and a lot of boops. And there are some games that we have played, not necessarily NES games, but we have, there are games we've played that have done that wrong and it's very easy to do that wrong. But Uematsu managed to take a somewhat limited you know, tool set here and really, I think, make it work extremely well for, for what it is. And there, there's a reason that a lot of these songs, like the battle music, the victory fanfare, you know, uh, the prelude, like you mentioned, um, are not only easily identifiable and considered iconic at this point, but were also something that almost every single Final Fantasy game in the series after this have either included or have at least been inspired by in some fashion. 
Paid homage to, yeah. Right. If they weren't good, they wouldn't do that. They're including versions of those songs if they're not including them directly. Yes. Exactly. You know, it's every Final Fantasy game that I have turned on. There are certain, you know, parts of the soundscape that are immediately recognizable as, okay, I know exactly what's happening because I know what these sounds mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you think when you think about something as a series, that cohesion, you know, that's why I started my play all the Final Fantasy games project is I wanted to see that kind of evolution. I wanted to see which are the bits that you know continue to be pulled along through this series because it what it's what makes it a series. <laughs> yeah, because it's certainly not connected plot lines, especially with the battle theme up until I think Final Fantasy VII when they then they changed the intro to it. That cohesion lasted a while. The theme to Final Fantasy lasted, I think, up until. Final Fantasy VIII. The prelude has been in everything, mm-hmm. like literally every single Final Fantasy game, one one way or another. So and it all started here. I mean, right now, if you go boot up Final Fantasy fourteen and just kind of hang out in the the loading screen, it's mm-hmm. it's that same prelude. Yeah. One thing I, I, I do have to say, look, I mean, as we're showering praise on this this soundtrack, if you said to me Mega Man soundtrack is better or Castlevania soundtrack is better. Or Ninja Gaiden soundtrack is better, and, and all of these soundtracks are easier to listen to. I'd be like, yes, yeah, sure, you are absolutely yeah. 100% right. But none of those soundtracks work in this game. You can't take any one of those songs and plunk it into Final Fantasy and it work. It just, it would make no sense. It'd be goofy as fuck. I understand that you might not put this in the upper echelon of NES soundtracks because they're not jamming out, they're not rocking out, they're... They're more subdued. It's more of a fantasy-based soundtrack. And I totally respect that. But it's a fantasy game. Exactly. (laughs) So if if you're saying Mega Man is a better soundtrack, yes, it is. I agree with you. Mega Man soundtrack would not work in Final Fantasy. It would never work. So stop it. I'm not saying anyone's making this argument. I'm just getting ahead of it in case that that argument does exist. I understand you. Yeah, and I mean, but you could also just make the argument that you know there's something to be said for the longevity of the final fantasy music and how it has endured across the series to this day where just about any of those other ones have not oh no mega man and castlevania that's not a good argument for that one ninja gaiden more so uh it sure as hell is considering nobody's making castlevania games anymore Ooh, that that hurts i mean bloodstained is a (laughs) Uh huh. That music has endured, though. Don't don't say that music hasn't endured. And that's mostly on. You're talking about Konami first and foremost. So, like, yeah, no, you're right. I am. Game. Yeah, because it's owned Maybe by this Konami. Is another opportunity to shit on Konami. <laughs> fuck Konami. Yeah, fuck Konami. <laughs> fuck Konami. Fuck them. I'll say that every single time. Fuck them. Right. So, is there anything else that we wanted to? talk about as far as the music and stuff goes as far as like sound effects i mean from my perspective like they're there like they're serviceable they kind of suck one thing i will point out since we have been showering a lot of praise on it is that um i really am not a fan of that like weird sound effect that happens every time you get a screen wipe transition i could really do without that yeah it kind of sucks the sound sucks (laughs) the music's fine sound sucks okay great well there you go i don't care for it I don't think it's very good. I don't think it like pierces my ears, but I mean, it's eh. especially when you cast like a sleep spell and you have nine enemies 
or you just cast a group spell and you have nine enemies on the screen. Because you can have up to nine enemies on a screen, which is a cool thing that you don't really get in many of the later iterations of Final Fantasy. Yeah. But like that kind of crackling noise, it's just it's it's very generic. I don't it's it's shit. I, I mean, it's not garbage. I guess shit is worse than garbage, but it doesn't make my ears bleed. <laughs> I was gonna say, what is what is the scale that you're using here? Yeah, I, yeah, I was I was confused there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make my ears bleed. I'll say that, but it does suck. Okay, it's, I I don't care for it. I just don't care for it. Music fine, music's good. Music's legendary. Music is iconic. No one's going to be saying uh for the rest of the sound design how great it is. People don't talk about the sound in Final Fantasy because it's not good, and uh, the music is so much better, and people don't remember the sound. They just remember the music, and again, I don't think that makes sense, but I think it does. Oh, I suppose that's fair. I don't know. Lyle, any any uh, last input on that before we, before we move on? No, I think you got it. Cool. All right. So uh, Chris has got one little miscellaneous tidbit here, so I don't know if you want to cover that real quick. I'll cover that, and I got a quick little one after that. So when people hear Final Fantasy for the longest time, people assume that it's called Final Fantasy because Square, Squaresoft or Square was in just dire straits financially. That if this game was not a success, they were going to go belly up and they're just going to fail. And that's partially true, but the naming convention really had nothing to do with that, apparently, according to interviews. So Sakaguchi originally wanted to call the game Fighting Fantasy, but apparently there was some copyright claims and some issues and because of that, they had to change the name to another word and they chose final. But Sakaguchi has come out and said they just needed to start with an F. So, you know, if the if fucking fantasy wasn't so offensive, it could have been fucking fantasy for all we know. But flatulating fantasy. Yeah, he chose final and it kind of, you know, was retroactively implied that it was to save the company, which it did. The other thing I do want to include that I didn't write down that I just remembered that I have seen before is Square had to change the sprite work for one of the enemies that was called like the evil eye. First of all, in Japan, it was called the beholder and it was literally a redrawing of a beholder. <laughs> so when they brought it over to the United States, they had to change it to an evil eye because uh, they did not want to get sued. Well, there you go. That's all I have. That's it. I think we covered that some during the fall playthrough too. Yes. So if you, we, we kind of talked about it, but I, I think the situations were different just because it had been so long. But this is, we're talking about like 1987 and 1990 when things weren't, you know, I don't think, so clear. I'm just saying I remember it coming up when we were talking about it then, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially like the, the mind flares. Yeah. That's straight out of D&D. Yes, it is. All right. So last piece that we like to usually get to is talking about whether or not we feel that this game holds up today. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and, and share your thoughts? We'll, we'll save uh, Lyle to close things out. If we're talking about the NES version, no. Like, absolutely fucking no. I don't play the NES version unless you're morbidly curious. It is, it's a bad game. It's poorly coded. It's poorly written. I understand it is the game that began the legacy known as Final Fantasy. But much like Dragon Quest... I would not recommend you play this game. In fact, I'd recommend you play Dragon Quest before you play the original Final Fantasy. 
it's just that broken. It's just it's just that difficult. I understand some of you are going to be like, I love this game, and I I can't believe how anyone can't understand it and can't beat it. Good for you. Just keep those thoughts to yourself because most of us sane people <laughs> nope, have realized this game had some serious quality of life issues that we have significantly evolved past since that game came out. Now, in 1987, if I had told you to play this game, yeah, sure, it's a fun game. I think there's a lot of elements here that are enjoyable. Picking your party rocks. I agree with Kawazu there. And that that's one of the highlights of the game. But guess what? You can still do that on your PSP version. You can still do that on your GBA version. And those are the two versions I recommend because they're a more casual playthrough. You can have a better time and you're not pulling your hair out. If you want a little bit more of a challenge, yes, go to the PlayStation 1, go to the Wonderswan. But no one has a fucking Wonderswan because most of you don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about when I say Wonderswan. Let's be fucking honest here. Go look it up. It's a cool little system. Yeah, I've heard you've been talking about the system. I have no idea what it is. Yeah. It's a cool system. Look it up. It takes one AA battery and lasts for like 20, 20 to 40 hours. And it was designed by Gunpei Yokoi. It's a cool thing. But in the meantime, yeah, go go to the PS1 version if you want more of a challenge. GBA uh, is is easy playing. PSP looks the best. Stay the fuck away from the NES. Just, just run. Unless you really want to hate yourself and hate your time and feel like, why am I doing this? That's all I got. All right. Well, kind of dovetailing off of that, I guess I'm going to echo a lot of the same sentiments in that, in my personal opinion, I honestly see no reason outside of wanting to be the hardcore gamer boy or girl to really play the original release. Uh, there's there's no reason. Like, as we went into exhaustive detail, it is just legitimately broken in ways that can make it more frustrating than it's actually worth. And then even, you know, bugs aside, the game itself is just, you know, it's difficult. It's got a little bit of that Nintendo hard to it. And you don't really need that, you know, and, and not to mention it's it's one of those things that gets harder and harder to go back to as years go by whether it's the very antiquated user interface or the you know obfuscated mechanics or the you know limitation on you know text characters so that you have spells that you're not even quite sure what they do unless you've got a manual sitting there with you so With all of that said, I 100% agree with Chris in that if you are going to go back and play it, which for the record, I I still think that it is worth a playthrough, um, especially if you want to see kind of as Lyle has done with his, you know, his own little project of playing through all the Final Fantasy games, asterisks all, then you can do that, but do it with one of the re-releases. I would, I would personally recommend probably either the GBA or the PSP. And one of the things for sure is that mana system change for spell casting. It, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't sound like it on paper, but it does make a world of difference when you are actually playing the game and it makes playing casters feel fun. Worthwhile. <laughs> like you actually get to play a caster and, not just a dude in a robe who occasionally tries to stab things. So, all right. So Lyle, what do you got? I mean, you guys hit most of the points Yeah, Don't, don't play the NES version. I didn't for more than, as I said, like 10 minutes, but I mean, if you're like me and I, I kind of hope you're not, but if you're like me and you <laughs> want to get a handle on the whole series, yeah, give it a go. 
pick up the Game Boy Advance to the PSP version so that you get the modernization and, you know, the quality of life improvements, the mana system. Do yourself a favor and pick an easier party. I know that when I played through it in the fall, I got almost the the like optimal easy mode party. And then when uh, you guys played it on the Twitch stream, you got basically the opposite of that. And <laughs> definitely not that. And <laughs> had no. a bit of a time. Yeah, so I got mostly an easy mode party. Unless you're doing it for some kind of a charity event, don't make it hard on yourself and pick one of the more weird combinations. Keep it all warriors. That's right. Fighters all the way. Why spell when can punch? <laughs> Fighters fantasy. Why, why cast complicated spell when few punch do same? I cast punch. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I think with all of that, we've reached the conclusion of our discussion of Final Fantasy 1 for the Nintendo Entertainment System or Famicom, depending on which corner of the world you happen to hail from. And so this is the point where we're going to start wrapping things up. Uh, and as with last time during the FF5 episode, which I would hope that you have already listened to by the time this comes out, I would like to thank our patron Saint Lyle for joining us here for Final Fantasy Month and uh, talking all things FFRPG. So thank you once again, Lyle. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you, Lyle. Yeah, and uh, so where can where can the fine listeners find the things that you do out on the intertubes? Uh, so the two big places you can find me, uh, I do a once monthly podcast with two of my good buddies. Uh, it's mostly just the three of us getting together and you know shooting the shit and sharing cool nerdy stuff for some amount of time, usually a lot. Uh, you can find that over at urandom-podcast.info. And if you'd like to keep an eye on how I am doing with my Final Fantasy playthrough, you can find that over at ffe.x1101.net. That is my Final Fantasy experience. Uh, I am currently playing through Final Fantasy VII and enjoying it quite a bit. You know, I mean, you're like, Roughly halfway through the catalog now, but I, I just thought of it that if, if you weren't doing it, you, you totally should have been like Twitch streaming your journey. I, I would have watched it. Yeah, we would have. I would have joined as well. I may have to pick one of them and do that with sometimes. Good deal. Eight. <laughs> no, not eight. Do two. <laughs> that I might do. I've been playing a lot of it on um, various mobile platforms. I, I don't know why, but Final Fantasy has very much cemented itself as a I play this on portables series for me. That is so weird to me. I, you know, except for FF14, every one of them I've played has been on a handheld. Well, they're on the Switch now, so there it is. That's true. Except for a couple of them. That's true. I, I don't I don't think five is on the Switch. Please don't tell me it's on no, the Switch because I will go, I will go buy it again. But it's on the Vita. I already own it there. Oh. Well there you go. We're, we're getting off track. We're, we're trying to wrap up a show here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All God right. damn it. This is like me for post shit. <laughs> anyway. I, uh, anyway. Uh, I'm playing through the series. Come check it out if you want. I do a podcast. Come check it out if you want. All my social network information is on one of those sites. Fantastic. All right. And as for us, if you are listening to the show, then you have already found it. So hello. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. <laughs> And if you would like to engage with us uh, more and in some different ways, then we make that available 
to you. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, you can join us on the public Discord that we've got going. Just head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P chat. That will give you an invite to the Arcade Floor text channel where you can say hello, introduce yourself, and then go off and do whatever you want. We got a meme channel. You can go listen to some music. Like, you could do anything. It's amazing. We got a great community. Everybody's awesome. It's a lot of fun. So please feel free to hop in and uh, and join in with us there. We also have the Patreon that is going. And thanks to folks like Lyle and Randall and Ashton and so many of the other ones, we are at a point now where, you know, Chris and I are just thrilled that this podcast is more or less self-sustaining. And we never thought we would get to that point and so we are forever no. appreciative to to all of our patrons um just for that like just covering expenses is like a huge deal for us so we are thrilled um and if you would like to support the show in that way uh because you like what we do enough then please consider going to gorpfans.com that's g o r p f a n s Dot com and choosing a donation tier that fits you personally for as little as a dollar a month. You can not only support the show, but you can also get access to bonus audio content in the form of full extra episodes in our RH Gaiden series. And those are coming out with increasing regularity now. So you will have even more retro hangover content to listen to. Um, and if you decide to go up to an even higher tier, then you get even more content. You got short form reviews in our rapid fire reviews. You've got outtakes from these uh, episode recordings. Um, you've got video games were a mistake where we take some time to just rant about shit because that's the kind of people we are. And apparently you're the kind of people that love to listen to it. So it works out really well um, and a lot of other great stuff. So feel free to check it out. And uh, you know what? If you want to grab some sweet Gorp merch, you can also do that. You can go over to bit.ly slash RHP merch, get yourself a t-shirt or a mug or a bumper sticker or, uh, you know, whatever you'd like. And if there's something that isn't there that you would like, let us know and I can add it to the store because we are nothing if not accommodating. And so, Chris, uh, would you like to tell the fine people about those Sunday Twitch streams. Yeah, go ahead and head over to twitch.tv slash retrohanger and smash that follow button. That's how the, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. Something about ringing a bell. I don't know. That's YouTube. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. And you can find us every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, we do have some listeners in Australia. So that would be, you know, Monday morning. If you're, you know, not working or not doing anything, you can hang out with us, too. But yes, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That's in the United States. And come out and hang with hang out with us. We have interesting conversations that we have going on there every Sunday. There's something weird happens all the time. And <laughs> it would be a great time to hang out with us there. And if you want to see what happens, just hang out with us the following day or whenever we have, you know, get off our ass and decide to upload it to YouTube. And go to our YouTube channel and subscribe there, too, because we do upload our podcast to that site as well. You might be listening to this on YouTube for all I know. And thank you if you are. Other than that, hey, look, thank you uh, again to Lyle and all the patrons. Like he said, go to gortfans.com if you want to support us. But thank you to everybody who is currently supporting us. 
the show being self-sustaining, as Shane said, is something that we never thought we would actually get to or even dream of when we started this podcast. So the fact that the server fees are taken care of and pretty much every everything that we need to worry about is, is essentially worry-free moving forward at this point. Yeah, thank you. So thank you so much, everybody, who's even you know at the dollar level. Thank you very much. It, it really goes a long way, and we really do appreciate it. Absolutely. And I also, speaking of YouTube, real quick, assuming that he he gets this far into the episode and hasn't skipped through all of our bullshit, I did want to uh, give a quick shout out to Game Over Hell. He has been consistently posting comments on just about every single episode that we put up on our YouTube channel. And not just like throwaway comments, but actually insightful stuff. So I know he's been listening to the show. I just want to say that we very much appreciate that engagement as well. So a big thanks going out, going out to you as well. I think that's it. I think that's it. And so uh, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your fantasy fighting joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you or jump in headfirst with full 12 ounce bags They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.